welcome back to the Dead Letter Movie Podcast. This is episode 47, recorded Sunday, April 5th, 2020. I'm Tim. I'm Andrew. And uh, in keeping a little bit with the theme of our previous episode, um, these are these are movies we're, we're going to discuss today about uh, some sort of bottle shows that are yeah. uh, isolated as far as, as locations. They're, uh, they're all kind of in one place yeah so it's like one location one room yeah bottle is a often a term used for these so yeah we uh there is some leniency on some of this but um i think we tried to, to stick to it as best we could so these are just sort of movies that we like in this genre with uh with ones we like more than others of course and uh yeah yeah i'll start um because I'm pretty sure my number three is the more questionable out of the, the two of ours. <laughs> um, and once once again, we're doing this blind. We've uh, we've talked a little bit about our honorable mentions before uh, before starting here, but apart from that, we don't really know what each other have got. <laughs> my number three, and uh, my friend Andy here is going to rake me over the coals for this, just because it's it's a bad example <laughs> of our theme, uh, is from 1964. Starring Cary Grant, Father Goose. Oh, yes, that is kind of a a liberal definition of it, but okay. It, it really is. Um, but, I feel less bad about my number three then, um, <laughs> but cool. So, yeah, there, there are definitely shots in, in other locations, but the majority of this, this film takes place on a single uh, tropical island, uh, and Cary Grant is... Isolated with Leslie Caron and uh, her uh, schoolgirl charges uh, in the middle of the Second World War in in the Pacific Theater. So yeah, again, this is pretty loose as as far as being a, a bottle example, <laughs> because uh, Leslie Caron and uh, and and the girls are actually on another island that's very nearby. You know, he's he's able to get there in a you know like a, a little dinghy, mm. but for the most part they're they're isolated on the one island. There there are different parts of the island, and plainly some slightly different sets. But it it kind of struck me the isolation because they are sort of trapped there together. There's there's no leaving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's also pretty funny. It is. I think I think it was uh, Cary Grant, like one of Cary Grant's last movies. Yeah, it was it was definitely later in his career, and he was kind of intentionally trying to play against type because he'd been doing very much the same character in so many of his roles for so long. So this was kind of an attempt on on his part to sort of break that mold. And he's actually really good doing something really different from what he'd done before. Yeah. And uh, you can't help when you... I guess like a thing we should tell people is that it sounds like Gilligan's Island. It is not Gilligan's Island. It's really not. There's... Yeah. Yeah. There's there's no... you. Hijinks with the professor, you know, building all kinds of crazy contraptions out of bamboo and coconuts. And... Yeah, no, no random. Here's your guest star anyway, despite this being a deserted island thing. Right. Um, none of that. Yeah, none of that. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's actually a pretty fun movie. Um, pretty classic Saturday matinee kind of flick. Um, yeah. 
So yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Mr. Eklund, have you been listening to me? Well, how can I help it with you screaming in my ear? Because you've been talking total nonsense. It's quite clear you know nothing whatsoever about children. You're an expert, of course. Well, I know one thing. Elizabeth is at that difficult age and you frightened her. Yeah, well, I'm at a difficult age myself. I guess that brings me to mine. Um, so mine, I think this one is also kind of it. The majority of the movie takes place in one spot, but there are a few scenes that you know, quick things that happen in other places, and that is 1992's *Reservoir Dogs* by Quentin Tarantino. Um, this is probably my favorite Tarantino movie. I don't think it's his best movie, but um, that's probably *Inglorious Bastards* or possibly *Once Upon a Time in Hollywood*. And yeah, don't get me wrong, I like Pulp Fiction, y'all, but, you know, I think those other movies are somehow better. Um, anyways, but yeah, so, you know, this uh, Reservoir Dogs is a basically the culmination of every film noir plot you can think of. Um, it's very similar to a film called Kansas City Confidential, in which a number of men are involved with a heist but don't know each other's actual names. They go by code names. This is all done in a in a in in the guise of being able to avoid snitching each other out when you don't know who anyone is if anyone gets captured. So um, everyone in Reservoir Dogs is named after a color, Mr. Pink, Mr. Blue, Mr. Blonde, Mr. White, etc. Um, but it turns out one of them is an undercover cop and he does eventually get found out. Bad things happen. Um, like Blue Velvet, the, which I mentioned the last time, this does involve severed ears, but in a different manner. Yeah, it's a uh, Tarantino, so of course a lot of violence, a lot of bad language, a lot of guns, um, but still pretty good. This is the movie that m makes you realize just how awesome Steve Buscemi is, in case you didn't know that already. Yeah, Buscemi yeah. plays. Buscemi plays, he always does. He's always really good. Um, Harvey Keitel is also super good in it. Uh, Tim Roth. Tarantino is also in it, um, and he does... He's he's very much Quentin Tarantino in it, but <laughs> the... Uh, you know. Yeah, the opening scene discussing a Madonna song will basically give you the idea of all things Tarantino. Yeah, all in all, it's actually a pretty fun movie, worth the time, and uh, generally takes place all in one area. <laughs> oh, that's that's funny. Yeah. Oh, like, what, did you have that on no, your list? No, no, no? I, okay. I just, I still feel better about yours than I do about mine. Oh. <laughs> if you want to know something he won't tell you, cut off one of his fingers, the little one, then tell him his thumb's next. After that, I'll tell you if he wears ladies' underwear. I'm hungry. Let's get a taco. All right, so moving on. My number two is, is a little bit better example. Okay. Um, there, there's still a little bit of play in it, but uh, from 1979, Ridley Scott's Alien. Ah, okay. Yeah. So they they do at one point you know they they land on the planet where they they find the you know the alien eggs and and such but otherwise this takes place entirely on board their one ship so it's it's sort of the the haunted house you know with all the the locked doors and the monsters inside with them yeah and I mean there there's some great sets and it's not like oh there's there's just the one room but it's it's very much all contained. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a pretty good flick. Um, stood the test of time. Um, I do think the original theatrical version is better than Ridley's so-called director's cut, but he doesn't, like, he just made a new cut because the studio wanted him to. He, like, he liked the original better. Yeah, he, um, he says as much that the version that was in theaters is the movie he wanted to make, so... Yeah. But yeah, it's a pretty good flick. Space truckers dealing with a monster, and then became this big thing. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. 
but um, easily, easily the the best of them. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I like. I know people really like Aliens, um, and that's it's not a bad flick in any sense. I mean, it's very much just an action movie, though. Um, yeah, it's, it's which a very is, different which, kind of movie. Yes, it's just a different kind of movie, which is totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But yeah, for some reason, I like it. I like the horror elements better for an alien story than like than an action story. But that's just that's just me personally. Yeah. I still think Aliens is a good flick, though. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, the the original Alien plays basically all of the the horror tropes it just executes them so so well it's mm-hmm. it's really a masterpiece it's last year the uh, the rift tracks guys did a, a movie called octoman <laughs> which uh was was a really terrible movie surprise surprise but it struck me as i was as i was watching that you know the basic plot elements and the beats here are basically the same ones as Alien. It's just executed so, so poorly. Mm-hmm. Now, there were a lot of Alien knockoff movies. and But uh, but then again, well, Octoman, like, um, do you, was that an 80s movie? or? Oh, cripes, I, I don't even remember. I, I want to say 70s, because it, mm-hmm. it, it felt like it was earlier than that, but, I mean, it could have just been really cheap film stock. Uh, well, and the thing is, like, that plot is also just generally, like, not, like, a lot of other movies that, like, Planet of the Space Vampires or yeah. whatever the Italian yeah. movie was that came out in, the like, the 50s um, is very much the same. Um, yeah, the, but, the uh, plot by itself is not really that original. There's there's mm-hmm. just so much in how it's done. Exactly, yeah. I guess to an extent the original, the the thing from another world does something kind of like, does something sort of like that too. Yeah. And I was on the fence about the thing, either version of the thing, because most, they're stuck on that compound for most of the time. But then they like, but then I was like, well, they do go out a fair amount in the ice and they like, in the, in the remake, they go to the other, the other place and uh, spend an extended time there. So I figured like, and I couldn't remember much from the fifties one, um, other than the monster isn't as cool. So yeah, I don't know. Well, I, yeah, yeah, I think I, I think aliens. It, it fits. It fits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, oh, no, don't touch, oh. don't touch it! Don't touch it! All right, so that go comes to my next one. Um, so mine is a little bit lighter. Uh, well, sort of. It's still kind of heavy, but it's at least funny. And that is 1985's The Breakfast Club by John Hughes. Ooh. Yeah, generally all takes place in the one room where they're all in detention, um, for the most part. I mean, there's some shots to the principal's office, and we see outside of the school a couple of times. But generally it all takes place in the library. Um, so this is a... It is... It's the Brat Pack. Um, this is... Mm-hmm. Either this is John Hughes's best movie or Ferris Bueller's Day Off, depending on how you feel. One does one thing, one does another thing, um, but they both have a very similar sense of humor. Five students are in detention on a Saturday, stuck all together, and they learn that they're not so different from each other despite being extremely archetypal cliches, um, which is totally fine. Uh, (laughs) It was the 80s, it is one of the quintessential teen movies. For a long time, when I was hiring people, I would ask them which member of the Breakfast Club did they most did they most relate to. For uh, for me, it is literally all of them, um, which is sort of the point. Uh, but I guess if <laughs> but I guess if I was going to pick one, I was going I would say the Ali Sheedy character, Allison. But yeah, it's a, I don't know. It's one of those movies that just about everybody has seen. It's classic sleepover 
film for a lot of people, Tim and my, like my age, um, and Tim's age for that matter. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty classic. So uh, that's that's my pick. That's uh, that's a it's a good choice. I wish I'd thought of it. What in God's name is going on in here? What was that ruckus? Uh, what ruckus? I was just in my office and I heard a ruckus. Could you describe the ruckus, sir? Watch your tongue, young man. Watch it. So before we do our number ones, let's uh, let's go to our honorable mentions. So I feel terrible about this because this really ought to be higher up the list. It is my honorable mention only because I have only seen it once and I don't really know it very well. But this this is, you know, like the textbook example yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so uh, from 1948, Alfred Hitchcock's Rope. Yeah. Which is, is you know, blocked and staged very much like a stage production. Mm-hmm. Well, with, it is based off a play. Yeah, so. yeah. With a very small set, but the, it it's, it's made to work as a film within those constraints, and it's really, really tense. Jimmy Stewart's great in it, like always. I just, it's been a long time since the one time I saw it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw it. I saw it within the last uh, the last five years. I'm pretty sure, and it's it really is like actually a pretty phenomenal movie. Um, based on or inspired by the Leopold and Loeb case, these two college students, uh, Farley Granger and John Dahl, I think. Anyway, they they like the first shot of the movie is them. The re- first real shot of the movie is them strangling this guy and then putting his body in a like I guess like what would you call it? It's like a, not an anwar, but a like a a piece of furniture in which you yeah. could like set up a buffet. The rest of the movie takes place where they have this dinner party and there's this body hidden the whole time. And uh, it's very fascinating. Um, there's a lot of uh, subtext that Jimmy Stewart was not a fan of, but it's still there despite his grumblings. Um, it's uh, very worthwhile. Um, the thing I particularly like about it is the, the passage of time. The movie is probably like slightly more than real like goes a little bit faster than real time but because we see it go from like afternoon into evening and like the work that they did outside the apartment because you can see outside of a window like them using neon and making a like a pretty sunset and everything that is like like that is just fun to think about while you're watching it and it's also just an engrossing film but by the performances i almost wish i were going with you it might be rather exciting Driving at night always is, but driving with you and Philip now might have an additional element of uh, suspense. You were right, Philip. Those books were tied clumsily. Okay, so mine is, uh, my honorable mention is uh, honorable because it's hard for me to convince people to watch this movie. (laughs) Not that it's bad in any way, it's just the kind of subject matter that people are going to be like, huh? And it isn't like, you know, it's not like Blue Velvet where it's relatively unpleasant. No, well, it is relatively unpleasant, but in a different way. Um, And that would be 1984's Secret Honor by Robert Altman. So this is about Richard Nixon. It's basically a one-man show. Philip Baker Hall as Richard Nixon goes into a room with a revolver, some I think it's scotch, and a tape recorder and proceeds to tell us his side of things, more or less. But in actuality, it's really just Richard Nixon exercising his demons, maybe or maybe not winning or failing depending on how you feel it's uh it's actually really fascinating it's some of the best acting you're ever going to see from somebody and it's one of those few times where you can see richard nixon not seem like a caricature they take him quite seriously for you know what he is and richard nixon and the reason why it's like difficult for me to 
you know, re- recommend it to people because it's a mo- it's a one man movie about Richard Nixon. What kind of crazy person is into this except for me? So, <laughs> like, it's it's like hard yeah. for me to be like, eh. uh, Richard Nixon is my favorite president. Not that I think he's like a particularly good president. I just thought he's he's just the most interesting, and this movie definitely shows that. Yeah, riddled with f bombs and riddled with Nixonisms and just all around. F- all around late 70s weirdness, despite being made in the mid 80s. Um, definitely worth your time if you're into this sort of thing. I recommend finding a clip on YouTube to, get, to give you an idea about what it's like. Um, but yeah, uh, Secret Honor with Philip Baker Hall, who you would recognize because he's just in things. Yeah, he's yeah. one of those guys. He's one of those guys. They said they wouldn't buy a used car for me, but they gave me the biggest vote in American history. And then they flushed me down the toilet. And they wanted me to stay down. They wanted me to kill myself. Well, I won't do it. If they want me dead, they'll have to do it. Okay, which uh, brings us to our number one picks. And uh, mine is from 1985. Clue the movie. Ah, I wondered if you were going to go with Clue. Um, yeah, no, Clue's awesome. It really is. Um, I, I honestly can't think that I've seen or, or was aware of seeing anything else by director Jonathan Lynn, but the mm-hmm. cast is just, man, they're fantastic. Just just knocking it out of the park, every single one of them. They're, they're hilarious and, and clever and suspicious and shady as all get out. Yeah, then just about everybody from the 80s you could think of would be in it, is in it. Uh, like uh, Martin Mull, uh, Michael McKean, Tim Curry, Madeline Kahn. Yep. Um, yep. Uh, Christopher Eileen Lloyd. Brennan, Christopher Lloyd, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, and also, uh, the uh, this is my favorite bit of weird. So I'm a, I don't know if I've spoken about this too much, but I'm like, I'm a punk rock kid. And the lead singer of Fear, Lee Ving, is actually the victim in this movie. Totally a little fun bit of punk rock trivia there. Yeah. And, uh, of, of course, Michael McKean, previously uh, David St. Hubbins of Spinal Tap. Spinal Tap. Uh, yeah, just a year after Spinal Tap, actually. Ah, oh, man. Uh, I like that movie. Especially yeah. after watching Knives Out, I was like, man, i got to watch Clue again. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. It's, uh, they're, I want to say cut from the same cloth, but that's maybe not, they're maybe not quite that close. Like, Kni- yeah. Kni- Knives Out is a little bit sharper. Like, it's, 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 it's got nice. some things to actually say. <laughs> Lives out is a little sharper. Than yeah. you're hilarious. Um. <laughs> yeah, I that that didn't sound that way before I said it. Um. <laughs> anyway, anyway, but yeah, definitely, definitely worth checking out, especially if you're stuck in your house like the rest of us. The game's up, Scarlet. There are no more bullets left in that gun. Come on, you don't think I'm gonna fall for that old trick? It's not a trick. There was one shot at Mr. Body in the study, two for the chandelier, two at the lounge door, and one for the singing telegram. That's not six. One plus two plus two plus one. Uh Uh-uh. There was only one shot that got the chandelier. That's one plus two plus one plus one. Even if you were right, that would be one plus one plus two plus one, not one plus two plus one plus one. Okay, fine. One plus two plus one. Shut up! All right, so my number one, Tim, actually, uh, so Rope would have been my number one, um, but uh, but this is totally fine. I had this set, this other one set up. Um, Hitchcock actually has a couple, like three movies that would qualify for this, but so there's Rope, which probably would have been my number one, but there's also Rear Window, oh, which yeah. is Jim, Jimmy Stewart again, um, looking out, thinking he witnessed a murder. And but that one's kind of odd because like he's technically in one room, but we're like seeing other rooms. So anyway, but then the uh, 
if rope isn't the quintessential example, um, I would say 1944's Lifeboat is a pretty, mm. like, because it takes place entirely in a lifeboat with uh, with a good number of people. And that movie is actually surprisingly fascinating for what it is. Um, even Hitchcock has a cameo in it, despite not being one of the big members of the cast. You have to look for it. Anyway, so my number one, now that I've done enough anticipation and everything, my number one is actually 1957's 12 Angry Men with Henry Fonda, directed by Sidney Lament. Uh. Uh, it's all in the juring room. It is just 12 guys discussing a murder case and the problems that they have with it. <laughs> or really just one guy's problem with it and him trying to convince 11 other guys about it. And now I will be honest, it is not the most legally sound movie in a lot of ways. There's at least one particular moment where a mistrial should have happened. <laughs> but as it is, it's still a very compelling, well-acted, well-executed, fascinating movie actually based off of a teleplay. There's also, there was a remake made in the 90s, I can't remember. I think Jack Lemmon's in it, but I can't remember who was like the Henry Fonda character in it. But that one's okay. But uh, the 57 one, that's the one to look for and is a pretty classic one-room movie. Yeah, good choice. It's a very unusual knife. I've never seen one like it. Neither had the storekeeper who sold it to the boy. Aren't you asking us to accept a pretty incredible coincidence? I'm just saying a coincidence is possible. And I say it's not possible. So those are some of ours. Uh, tweet us some of yours. At, uh, I did have yeah. some people did tell me about their homesick movies. Um, so yeah, uh, so one, one person told me it was Hook, um, and I also got um, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So we, we didn't even talk about Indiana Jones movies at all. So uh, that's true. Which which were movies I did watch when I was sick. So yeah, let us know if you have any one location movies that you. Uh, are a fan of because we are paying attention to that <laughs> it's kind of a thing we do yep so anyway that's uh that's our show for today thanks for listening everybody and we'll see you next time bye bye